We are doing this series called Gospel Foundation. And as we do this series, we've been uh, building upon some real important truths as we go along, some foundational ideas. We've talked about um, who God is. We said this is um, theology. This is what we talk about. And primarily God, oh, let me go with our slide here. We've talked about what God has done, who we are, and what we should do is today. So we talked about at the beginning of the series that we often jump to the what we should do and that we want to be ensure that we're getting this in the right order because if we just um, go out and do and get busy for God even, that oftentimes we're missing what God has intended for us and we just end up busy and drained and exhausted. So this series has been about getting these in the right order. So we've been talked about who is God and we said God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God has primarily revealed God's self in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then building upon those, we said, what has God done? The Father sent the Son to die and to be raised to life on our behalf. The Son served us. And we looked at the scriptures where Jesus told his disciples, you know, I, I didn't come to be, you know, I am your Lord, but I'm washing your feet. Uh, I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So Jesus did that. And then the Holy Spirit empowered the Son. And we talked about the scriptures where we see, um, especially in Luke 2 through 4, where Jesus is multiple times said to be filled with the Holy Spirit as he begins his ministry after 30 years of um, really silence in terms of the scriptures in his life when he begins his ministry. So who are we? We said, well, the Father has sent the Son to reconcile the world to himself, and that makes us family. So we are part of God's family. We are children of God, the scriptures say, adopted and co-heirs with Christ was the text we looked at last week. And the Son served us, and he said, you know, I'm your Lord and your Master, and I do these things for you, and you should go and do likewise. And so we have an identity as servants. This is part of who we are. Um, we're going to talk more about that today. I'm going to talk about that now. And then we said um, the Holy Spirit empowered the Son. And when the Holy Spirit gave power to the Son, it was all for the purpose of bringing people to Jesus and therefore back to the Father. And so then the Father and the Son, they pour out the Holy Spirit upon uh, the church. And then they become God's missionaries. They have a mission, a purpose in this world. And that purpose is to bring others into the family and to help reconcile others to Christ. God does the work, but we participate in it. We have an identity as missionaries, all of us, not just the ones we send to some foreign land. So today we are going to, oh, I jumped ahead a little bit. Can I go back? Oh, now I got to go through all of them again. Um, today we're going to be talking about um, what we are to do or what should we do. And we said that this is primarily missiology. So sometimes the church gets this backwards and the church will think that what we do is church, that that is what the church does. Church. We go to church. We create a church service and that's what we do. I mean, we obviously we do that. We do those things. But we said, no, our identity, even the word from Greek that ecclesiology is a study of the church. Ecclesia is a Greek word. That word means um, those who are called out or, or gathered together. The, both of those could be possible meanings of that word. So our, that's our identity. We are the church. All of us. 
We don't do church, but what we do, even though we are all missionaries as part of our identity, what we do is the activity of, of bringing those to Christ and participating in that. So that's why we say when we talk about what we should do, what we're ta- primarily dealing with is missiology or the study of missions, what we should do. So the first one we said, um, oh, scripture, very important. Let's read together Romans 12. With all of these that we've been going through on Sunday morning, um, I'm wanting to ground us in a scripture that clearly when we're doing a series like this, what we're looking at is something that um, spans the scriptures. You can't just look at one and find everything you need. So there's a lot of possible jumping off points. This one today, I just, I I read this recently again, and um, Romans 12 has been an important text for a lot of people in their lives. And I read this and I was thinking, you know, what, just imagining in my head, what would it be like to be a part of com- a community of people who were like this, as it's described in Romans 12? So let's read that together. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not overcome, or do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow, what a community that would be if we were able to live like that. And this is Paul's instructions for the church. So as we talk about what we should do, I feel like. I could spend, I really probably will spend the rest of my working life working on that right there. That's what I desire for a community of believers to be and for how they should live, the church, what we should do. So when we talk about these foundational ideas, we said God is a father. He sent the son to die on the cross, to be raised, raised from the dead, to conquer death, to reconcile the world to himself. And then that makes us family, brothers and sisters in Christ. It has nothing to do with 
biology or blood or even marriage. This is a work of God. It makes us family. So what should we do? Pretty simple to say. Really difficult to do. We should love others. And of course, if we are grounded in Scripture, this would make sense, wouldn't it? Because when Jesus was asked, you know, the greatest commandments, he said, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And then the others, just like it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. To love others. When we don't love others, what we're revealing about ourselves is our lack of belief and acceptance in God's love for us. I've said this many times because I have to remind myself of this, but it's so important. You know, we, we did the, um, we sang part of the Apostles' Creed today. When we do the ordination after this message, we're going to say the Apostles' Creed together. We are really good at professing our beliefs and the things we say we believe about God. We say we believe about the church. But the reality is we, the belief is deeper than that. It's something that gets lived out. And that's where the rubber meets the road, if you want a good idiom to go along with that. The Father sent the Son, made his family, therefore we should love others. When we don't love others, we reveal our own lack of belief and acceptance of God's love for us. When we're unable to love others, what we're saying is we need to go back in this foundation and get back to that idea that God loved us despite the fact we couldn't measure up and we couldn't earn it. And despite the fact that we are sinners, God loved us. And if you are struggling with loving difficult people in your life, the root of that has to do with the fact that you're still not truly accepting and believing that God loves you despite all your feelings. It's the heart of the gospel. If we just go out and we just start with, hey, I'm just going to go out and I'm just going to serve, I'm going to love, I'm going to love, and then we're just miserable inside, it'll all be shallow surfacing and we'll feel worse than when we started. This has to be rooted in God's love for us. And if we're unable to love others, then what we're revealing is that we're not fully believing that God loves us. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, Forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of those, we, we forgive those who have sinned against us, or forgive us our trespasses, or forgive us our uh, debts. You know, that's a famous Presbyterian one. You've heard that before. Catholics say trespasses because they have all the land, and Presbyterians say debts because they have all the money. I don't know if that's true anymore, but that's what they said. So, but whatever it is, you know, the idea is in the heart of the Lord's Prayer, when you're saying, forgive me as I've forgiven others, what you're also saying is, God, if I haven't forgiven others, don't forgive me. Ooh, that's a tough one, right? Jesus built it into the prayer. He gave the church and gave the disciples. Love our enemies. Why? Why, God? Why love our enemies? Love... Yes, love others, but love our enemies. Love those who want to destroy us. Love those who want to blow up our city. Love those who want to shoot up our schools. I mean, these are our enemies, right? These are the things we talk about today as our enemies. Love those who, if they had a chance, would destroy everything about our way of life. Love those who, if they could, just because we bear the name of Christ, they would kill us. Love those. Love our enemies? Why, God? Because we were God's enemies. Again, it only makes sense if we go back in the gospel and we understand 
What we talked about last week, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in rebellion, while we were Christ's enemies, he died for us. That's why we were God's enemies. And now we're called to love our enemies. God loved us first. He did the action. He did the initiating. And then we follow. This is the only reason we're even able to love others. Otherwise, it's all shallow and superficial. God loved us first. Now, I feel like whenever I say this, it is important to note that boundaries are, are good. <laughs> you know, we, um, just because someone wants to kill us doesn't mean we say, okay, go ahead. <laughs> you know, just because we have someone who's abusive to us doesn't, love does not mean that we just allow them to continue abusing us. And anyone who's ever had to discipline or raise a child understands that true love doesn't mean accepting everything bad that someone wants to do. So I, I don't want to make this, I am making it black and white because I, this is a foundational, this is gospel foundation, but I do understand it is complicated. We do need to, you know, care for ourselves and protect those around us. It's not like we don't. But I would say that I think we generally tend to err on the side of not loving rather than on the side of setting appropriate boundaries or not setting appropriate boundaries. I think we tend to err on the side of not loving. That tends to be our default because we are selfish by nature. So the do, the imperative here is love others. And really, when Jesus gives it, there's no qualifications, no exceptions for whether that person that we're called to love is nice or not, whether they're deserving or not. He gives us no exceptions based on their nationality, their gender, their race, their language, their social status, whether they're rich or poor, whether they are gay or straight, whether they are a sinner or a saint, whether they're nice, mean, it doesn't matter. It's just unqualified love. And just in case, just in case we thought there might be an exception for enemies, he puts that in there specifically. And even your enemies, you need to love them. So the Father sent the Son, which makes us family, and we are called to love others. The Son served us. And we said that gives us an identity as servants. Jesus made that very clear. And therefore, as you might guess, we are called to serve others. In Matthew uh, 25, 31, this is a, a scripture, and then the verses after that, Matthew 25, 31, this is a scripture I have sometimes used uh, when I've been talking about this point. Because that's a scripture where Jesus says, you know, there's going to be this, he describes this great judgment and the separating of, he describes sheeps and, sheep and goats being separated. And then he goes on and he talks about how the father will say um, to some people, you know, get away from me and go to eternal punishment because I was hungry and you didn't give me food. I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't welcome me. And then they, and they're confused and they go, Lord, when did these things happen and we didn't do them? And he said, whenever you didn't do them for the least of these, you didn't do them for me. And then the flip side is there's a whole nother group of people who Jesus says, welcome, you know, come on in. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me nothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And they're surprised. And they're like, Lord, when did we ever do these things for you? And he said, whenever you did them for the least of these, 
You did them for me. This is so important for the church to get right right now, for the North American church especially to get right right now. We don't have to do any weird language twisting or anything to get the force of this. I mean, who are those right now who are sick? Who are those who are hungry? Who are those in our nation who are being thrown into prison? Who are those who are lacking clothing? Who are those? Because Jesus says, whatever you didn't do for them, you're not doing for me. Whatever you do for them, you're doing for me. It's very clear. We're called to be servants. And for some reason, we struggle with this one. I'll be honest, you know, I've been in, I'm involved in ministry for most of my life at different levels. From the time I was in high school, I started serving with a youth ministry. And one of the things I learned really early on when I was doing ministry is that those that you want um, leading and those that you want serving beside you, the easiest way to pick those people out is to pick out the people who are serving when they're not being asked. Because they have the heart of Christ. I've been in, I was part of a really large church in Bend, Oregon. It didn't start that way, but it grew to be quite large. It would be what we call a mega church today. And I remember one Sunday, the pastor, um, I was a teenager, and the pastor said, you know, one of the simple things you could do to serve this community would just be to park your vehicle farther away because we had a parking lot that was just crazy crowded. It was hard to find a spot on Sunday, multiple services, people coming in and out, people directing traffic. And he said, for those of you who are okay walking a little bit farther, you know, you can really serve others by just parking further away. And, you know, at the time I was like 16, I think I just started driving. I thought, well, that's easy. You know, I can do that. And and I thought, this is going to be really fun next Sunday to see what happens. It didn't happen. People were still all fighting for the closest spots. I mean, I, I did. I parked, And I started doing that at every church I attended after that. It was simple. I remember um, when we were at um, my church in Marysville, Mountain View, we had a time when our parking lot was really crowded. We had a really busy street, and we needed some people to start parking across the street. Now, there are many people who can't do that. They may want to, but for physical reasons, they can't do that. And so I thought, well, as long as I'm able and God has blessed me with the ability to walk across a busy street... I can park over there. And I started doing it. And then we actually started with quite a few people doing that. And pretty soon it petered down and down and down until it was just a, a few staff people doing it. And, you know, I, I don't know why this is so hard for us. And I know it's hard for me, too. I mean, that one's easy for me. That's why I use it, I guess. Because that was easy for me. I'm not trying to make myself a hero. But I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, for whatever reason, it's so hard for us. To serve others. I'm not sure if it's because of our just innate selfishness, if it's because we want to be elevated, but we've got to get this right. This is, this is what God's called us. This is our identity, to be servants. And there's so many opportunities to serve. We're not all called to serve in the same way. There's endless opportunities to serve. Of course, most of the Best ways to serve are the ones that nobody else wants to do. Because <laughs> those are the ones where I think we really get stretched. So the son, he served us. That's what he came to do, to serve us. And so he said, your identity from now forward, going forward, you're going to be servants. You're going to serve others. And the greatest among you will be the one who serves. And then he said, go serve others. That's what we're called to do. As I was thinking about this um, 
Oh, well, no, I'm going to move on. We've got to move on a bit. So the, the Spirit um, empowered the Son, and that we said that makes us missionaries. <clears throat> so our do, our imperative, what we need to do is to make disciples. This is the one that I think scares people the most, because not only do we feel generally very unqualified to make disciples, but we have this really odd idea of what that means, because many of us have experienced evangelism and and so-called evangelism in a way that is very offensive and is very much in your face and is very much condemning other people. And we say, we don't want to have it. I don't want to be known like that. I don't want to have any part of that. And we think that that's what disciple making is. Jesus, when he gave his marching orders to the church and to his disciples, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is Matthew 28. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What's interesting about that is Jesus said, teach them to obey. He didn't say, teach them to believe everything you believe or that I've taught you to believe. That's often what the church has thought disciple making is. And so we do um, small group Bible studies and we do um, confirmation classes and we do a lot of things to teach people to believe the right things. I hope you'll see that I, I agree that belief and getting those foundational elements right are really important. But Jesus said, teach them to obey. So, so just think about that for a second. If someone says to you, your job is now to be a parent, maybe you adopt a child, and you're, one of your jobs is to teach them to be obedient to, the, to you and to, the, to other authorities. How do you do that exactly? Do you take that child and sit them down and say, we're going to have a 14-week course on obedience you know, the best way to teach that child to obey and to teach you how to teach that child to obey is just take a trip to the grocery store. <laughs> you know, start there. You can teach a kid to obey in the grocery store. Man, you're on a good track, right? So you can start there. I mean, what if we trained pilots the way we often train disciples of Jesus? What if we said, okay, come and we're going to put you through all of the ground courses we're going to give you all of the head learning. You're going to know everything there is to know until you're an expert on flying a plane. And then once you're ready, you're going to be the pilot and you're going to fly. How many of us would jump into that plane? We don't teach pilots. We don't teach many professions that way. You have to get experience. You have to fail, right? You have to learn in doing that. When Jesus says to go and make disciples and teaching them to obey, this cannot happen inside a church building. It's impossible. This space is way too safe for Christians to teach them what it means to obey Jesus. So if that's true, then we really got to figure out this discipleship thing in a new way, don't we? We've got to be out there in the world. And making disciples means that discipleship starts long before a person says, I want to be baptized, I want to believe in Jesus. That, that question of evangelism, you know, will you say yes to Jesus, that we hear people blaring out of the megaphones, that's not the first step for most people. In fact, even when they think it's the first step, if you have a conversation with them, and then you'll find out that there was a lot of things God had done leading up to that. So many of us, when we are making disciples, if we're doing this right, we are a part of what God is doing in this person's life. God is pursuing them. He, if, you, if we believe everything we just said, he loves them more than we could ever possibly love them. 
So he may be using you to have one conversation. He may be using you to make a commitment to have coffee with that person every week and talk about what it means. I mean, that may be part of what he's using you for. He may be using you in someone's life because they know you say you're a disciple of Jesus. And they may, God may be using you to show them what that looks like in a very difficult situation in your life. That might be making disciples. I remember, you know, I did youth ministry for a lot of years. And, uh, you know, I really struggled with this because almost everything I was doing was inside the church. And, you know, kids are really good. I mean, we're good at this. We're probably actually better as adults. But kids, you know, they're, they're, they're good at, like, putting on different masks and different faces when they're with different people. Because they're really trying on different identities. They're trying to figure out who they are. And so, you know, they could be sweet and nice and have all the right answers when we were in youth group. But that wasn't really teaching someone how to follow Jesus. And so I I tried to find some some ways to push them. And I remember one of my real wake-up calls on this was I was doing a youth retreat. And I, I showed the kids this really great short film that someone had made. And in the film... And maybe some of you have seen this, but in the film, it depicts a man who's facing this terrible moral dilemma. He's a drawbridge operator, and it it builds up, you know, he's bringing his young son to work with him. And then um, what happens is his son ends up wandering off during the day, and he goes off, and he's down by the drawbridge, and there's a train coming. And right when the man needs to lift the bridge, his son falls down into these gears of the drawbridge. And so the man is watching this train coming and looking at his son, and he's, it clearly depicts this moral dilemma of, do I sacrifice the life of my son and save the lives of everyone on the train, or do I save the life of my son and let everyone on this train die because the drawbridge is up? It's, it needs to put it down. And, um, you know, I, I showed this film because it's, it was done by Christians, and it was meant to help us understand the cost of the decision the father had to make on our behalf to give up his son. And yet um, the reaction I got was just visceral. I mean, there were so many kids that just were incredibly disturbed by this idea, even though they understood it was about God. They were incredibly disturbed by this idea because of the, the not because they didn't believe that God had given up his son, but because of the more brought forward this moral tension. And they didn't want moral tension. They wanted answers. They didn't like being in the moral tension. And it just woke me up to the fact that, you know, I'm not doing a good job discipling these kids, even in my part of it, because they're entering a world that's filled with moral tension that they're going to face as Christians. I mean, they may be working on Google's self-driving cars. And they've got to, someone's got to program that car to say, what happens if an old lady is going across the street and the car has to, is going too fast to stop and it has to decide whether to hit that lady or go off into the curb and maybe hurt you or hurt someone on the sidewalk. That has to be programmed in when they build these cars. It's one of the biggest problems they're wrestling with right now. And there's going to be kids, Christian kids, working on these things. And the church is not even preparing them to have these moral conversations. Discipleship happens in the stuff of life. And all the messiness, struggles of life. I know that 
this sermon would be a lot easier to take if I just said, this is what you should do. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to go to church. You need to give us your money. You need to stay away from bad people. And you need to protect your kid from bad moral influences. Isn't that a lot more comfortable? I mean, the funny thing is, if you hear it put that way, it really is, right? Oh, that would be a lot easier, you know, because I'm already struggling with those things, but at least I, I know what I need to do, right? Interestingly, Jesus talked very little about any of those things. He didn't spend a lot of time talking about those things. Not that they aren't important, but the gospel is an all of life thing. It's an all of life call. The the do, what we need to do, the imperative, is a response to all that God has done on our behalf already through Jesus. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would fill us with a sense of adventure, excitement, and anticipation for this life you've called us on. I pray that you would continue to build and remind us of who we are in you, despite what the world says, despite what we may feel about ourselves, that we are your family, that we, like you, are servants of others around us, and that we are your missionaries, we are your plan for sharing your love with this broken world. God, give us the courage to move into whatever that might mean for us right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.